I am so glad that you have joined us today for part two of Barriers. We are looking at these barriers that come between us and God. Sometimes there are these challenging questions that creep in and cause us to wonder. Today's question is, how can you say there is only one true faith? So here's a short series description that we're looking at, nearly everyone has encountered hard questions that seem like barriers between us and God. But what if there are answers that can transform barriers that block our way into signposts that point the way? Now you might be wondering, why, Jim, are you choosing a series like this and to present a message series like this at a time like this? And my thought process goes like this. We are at a time where everything feels uncertain. We're at a time where sometimes our faith is being challenged by fear. Our worship is being challenged by worry. And during these times where we're in isolation and not connecting as much, uh, it's possible that doubts can creep in as we're daily tuning into bad news. Sometimes the good news seems far away or vague. It's a time where doubts can create big problems for our lives. And so I'm picking some serious, challenging questions that sometimes if they crept in at this time where you are in a weakened faith position, that uh, it could challenge your faith. And so whether you are experiencing doubts because these questions have always been hard for you or not, I believe it's a good time to look to the good news and look to signposts uh, rather than barriers. And so that's my thought process. Now, this question that we're dealing with today, um, it comes out of four questions we're looking at. So this is part two. Last week, we looked at how could a loving God allow so much suffering? Today is how can you say there is only one true faith? Next week, hasn't science disproved the Bible? And the last one we'll deal with in this series is how could a loving God send people to hell? Those are all challenging and difficult questions. Let's look at an expanded version of today's question that reads this way. With so many religions and belief systems in the world, with so many people sincerely following their spiritual path, how can anyone say there's only one way to God? It sounds arrogant, narrow-minded, judgmental, mean, and wrong. There's actually two hidden questions buried into that question. The one question is, I feel like you're being mean and judgmental. Uh, The other Uh, belief is, I don't like what you believe. There's two things there. So the first one that I want to address is, well, we need to hear that. Sometimes we as believers do sound judgmental. We do sound mean. We sound like a know-it-all who is the steamroller. We're not really listening for a worldview and uh, respectful and gentle. We need to be more like Jesus. Uh, Sometimes I come across with passion, like I'm right, and I'm not really considering where somebody else is coming from. And It is always good to be gentle and respectful. That is true today in our culture. It was true in the early movement of Jesus as well. So that's a good place to begin. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter tells us this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Now that's saying something. Christ as Lord. The one above all. The one is Lord over your life. That's what he believes. That's what he's presenting. 
And if you live that way, you're going to come into people that wonder about that belief and hope that's different. They'll, he says this next, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. I think we really need to heed that today particularly because we live in a time in our culture where the polarization is so very strong in many arenas. Polarization politically, polarization in terms of faith, polarization about morality, polarization about even medicine and what's going on. And there's just this kind of polarization take place. So as we present ourselves, we need to make sure that we're gentle and respectful. So I love how one person put it, I don't know where it comes from, that we need to be winsome to win some. If we're not winsome, we lose. We all lose. And so we need to uh, be gentle and respectful in this process. I hope that I am today as I uh, bring thoughts to us about this very heavy and difficult question. One faith, there's only one way. It, there's weight there, and I understand that. I want to begin in this way as it relates to just the nature of faith. So on the screen is a quote that comes from Oprah Winfrey. It comes in 2017 in the wake of the uh, hashtag Me Too movement, if you'll remember. Winfrey said at the Golden Globe Awards in 2017, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. And if you'll recall, in 2017, hashtag Me Too, uh, a lot of women were speaking out against powerful men who were abusing their power. They felt powerless under the harassment of wandering hands of these powerful men. And they didn't speak up at the time, but the more courage they receive from hearing about others, telling their story about what took place with the powerful men in their life, more people were coming out with what Oprah called their truth, your truth. But I think that's an unfortunate way of saying it, but it comes right out of our culture that is talking about the nature of what we believe. That sometimes we talk about what we believe as our truth, I think what she really means is this is very personal to you and it was hard for you to talk about. I'm so glad that you shared this personal truth, but to say it's their truth is probably not all that wise. So let's put it this way. What she really is trying to say, and probably would have been better if she did, is this. These women need to be commended not for telling their truth, but for telling the truth. So, I mean, that's really what she was after, the truth. I'm so glad that we, we heard you speak up about your experience because this truth needs to get out because others have experienced this truth, this also. Now, with that in mind, do you notice the difference between their truth and the truth. If it was only their truth, it's what they believe took place, it's a subjective belief, and it's not really the truth. If it's just what they believe happened but didn't really happen, that's actually not their truth, it's a lie. And that is problematic. That's not what she's saying. She's saying, I'm so glad that you had the courage to talk about your experience and bring the truth out into the open. your truth. The Bible does not describe faith as your truth. The Bible describes faith as a confidence in a reality 
that you can't see, but it's an assurance that it's real. And you're basing your behavior based on that trust that this reality that you can't see is very real. And over the course of time, you begin to see that it is more and more real subjectively, but it's based on an objective reality. Now, that's not the way our current culture views faith. So we need to start with point number one, but is it true? But is it true? People are often thinking things like, As long as you are sincere about what you believe, that's all that really matters. Here's the problem. You can be sincerely wrong. You can be sincerely wrong about what you believe. Um, Someone once said this about science. The good thing about science is that it's true whether or not you believe in it. But this is not limited to science. It's the good thing about truth. Period. Truth is true whether I believe it or not. So we're not talking about your truth versus my truth. We're talking about truth. And we're talking about science, whether you believe it or not. If it's good science with proof involved, we're talking about truth, whether you believe it or not. So to get at that a little bit, your truth and my truth... Subjectively, subjectively experienced is not important if it is not based on the truth. This is most easy to see in life and death scenarios. So imagine a hypothetical that I hope will uh, be feeling very real to us. Imagine that the physicians and lab technicians have come up with a vaccine for the coronavirus. Now, imagine that as they're testing it, improving it, it's really working, and there's a reality track record that's taking place, and now they encounter a person that's been tested positive. In fact, their their, uh, health is being uh, compromised, and yet they insist that their home remedy is what's working for them. And their home remedy consisted of a smoothie that they made out of three oranges and three cloves of garlic thrown into a a blender that just blends it up into a thick, juicy mess that they drink. And as long as they drink this every day, they're going to be fine. And they're trying to convince the doctors that their truth (laughs) works for them. Now, maybe it seems silly to you, but... I could see how the doctors are going to try to insist that she take the real thing that's proven to work. And they view her shake home remedy as a placebo. That's precisely how many who are looking at faith, the way they look at it. They look at faith as the faith that you believe in this placebo. This doesn't really have to do with reality. As long as you believe it to be true, it works for you. And you're okay and I'm okay because what works for you works for you and what works for me works for me. How dare you say that what works for you has to be what works for everybody and that's where the problem lies because they do not see it in a life and death scenario. They don't see it as True, it's subjectively true. And that's where the problem and some of this question comes out of. But is it true? That's what we need to ask. Now, with that as a background, we jump into the heart of the objectionable material for so many people that do not like what we believe because of what Jesus said. And here's what 
Jesus said. In John chapter 14, verse 6, we read, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's this reaction. How dare you say such a thing? In his day, the reaction is from the Jewish community with a religious system. Now Jesus is claiming an exclusive answer that is you only can come to the Father through him. When all their lives long, And for centuries, it was through a temple system that God had set up that they are to come to God. And now Jesus is claiming the exclusive way to God. You can see why this kind of claim and many others like it got him crucified. Now there's one thing about history. History does no longer try to say Jesus was not real, Jesus was not crucified. There's too much evidence on both the... um, unbelievers, historian side, writing about history, as well as the believers writing about history. Jesus really lived. He really was crucified. And if he didn't make these claims, we're left with this huge puzzle. Why was he crucified? I believe he did make these kinds of claims precisely as we read in the New Testament. And that is what got him crucified. It was offensive then, And it is offensive now until you see that it's credible. Once you see that it's credible because of the character and credibility of Jesus, right down to the miracles he performed and the truth that he taught, you begin to believe that maybe it's true. And then after the scenes of the resurrection, which we covered last week, you begin to believe he really is who he claimed to be. Now with the credibility... Your unraveling life as it's diminishing and it's a life and death scenario, you reach for the vaccine that seems to prove to be true. And that's what I want us to be considering. Now, this exclusive claim of Jesus is nothing new. The entire Bible is exclusively claiming claims for God. God says, if you want to follow me and you become my people, you must do this and this and this. And he set up a whole temple system and a sacrificial system. He didn't explain all the reasons why. He just set it up and they began to practice what God said to practice. And then Jesus comes along and he says, basically, he is the fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system. But this isn't out of the blue. This is right out of the, how it's all building up to God's plan from the outset. We looked at this passage last week. We're going to look at it again and you'll see what I mean. In Isaiah chapter 53, 4 through 6, we read, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. The Jews reading it in their day, centuries before Jesus came, didn't know who this was talking about, and the mystery was kept a mystery until the events could be fulfilled. After his crucifixion and resurrection, it becomes clear that this is talking about Jesus himself, that he took up our pain on the cross and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. And boy, we needed healing. This is what it says. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Now, I don't know what you're feeling about your life, but when I look at my life, anytime I move my eyes off of Jesus, anytime I start allowing the uncertainty of life to uh, be my focus, anytime I keep taking in bad news without turning to the good news, my life begins to unravel. Actually, my life can unravel with any number of fixations, but my life gets put back together when I put my eyes back on Jesus. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So if that's true, and let's go back to the coronavirus illustration that we're working on. If medical staff, when the medical staff is trying to give you a life-saving vaccine, and let's pray this is available soon, would you be offended? That's like... The question, how dare you say this life-saving vaccine is what I need? My three oranges and three cloves works for me. I'm offended that you're trying to make me do this. It can't be that narrow. It can't be that answer. And yet, of course, we're hoping that we do get an answer. And so rather than view it as too narrow, we should be actually viewing it as great news. There is a way out. That our sin, that we all, if we're honest, know is there, that we have ignored God, that we do go astray, that every time we become self-centered, our life begins to unravel. If we really look at the truth, we need an answer. We need the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus claims to be that way, the truth, and the life. God provided Jesus as your life-saving vaccine. Now, though I don't have lots of time to go into the credentials of all this, the way God pre-planned and worked out the truth is just like you'd expect. If God is real, he could predict what's going to come down, he could plan it out, he could tell people how it's going to go down, and then it would go down just the way he said, and you have this track record that what he says is true, and it's credible, and you start to believe even more as the Events tr- prove themselves out. That's how it was before Jesus arrived. That's how, how it has been since Jesus has arrived. It becomes more and more credible as we go. So isn't it more important to investigate the claim than dismiss it out of hand because you think it is narrow-minded? Now, this is not a new barrier that we're talking about where Jesus claims to be the only way. This exclusive claim is an old barrier that has been there from the beginning. Just as a vaccine builds a track record of credibility over time, so did the movement of Jesus built credibility over time. Early in the movement, Peter was doing miracles just like Jesus was doing miracles. Peter saw that Jesus was fully resurrected. He received the power from the Spirit in his life. He would see a man needing healing and he would raise him up to be able to walk. It created controversy among those that hated Jesus. Now they hate Peter for it. We jump into Acts chapter 4 verse 12 and we hear Peter responding to them trying to stop his message, he says this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. How angering that was for the Jewish elite leaders to hear this from this 
uneducated man. But this uneducated man has been with Jesus. He's filled with power. He's filled with truth. He is unstoppable. They don't know what to do. A notable miracle has been done right before their eyes. And so without knowing what else to do, we jump down to verse 18. They say, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, as in listen to God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. For them, this is not hearsay. They saw the resurrected Jesus. For them, this is not hearsay. This is going to work. It is working. This is a reality that they're experiencing, a power that's outside of themselves that they're calling in the name of Jesus, and literally miracles are taking place right before their very eyes. You want us to stop talking about this? This is too real for us to stop talking about. We believe it with all of our hearts. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for us. He's the answer for you. He came and fulfilled it all. This is where they're coming from. It's often said that you should respect other people's beliefs, but that's wrong. What's vital is that you respect other people. Attempting to persuade others to change their beliefs is a sign of respect you are treating them as thinking agents with the ability to decide what they believe. So we need to be gentle and we need to be respectful. We don't need to respect what they believe if it is wrong. We want to be gentle and respectful and dialogue. That comes from Rebecca McLaughlin, Confronting Christianity, which is a fantastic book with 12 of these barrier-type questions that she addresses one by one. And that's what we're doing with four of them together. Point number two, we've been talking point number one, but is it true? Point number two is what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Are we supposed to throw out logic? Are we supposed to throw out our minds? Are we supposed to throw out reason when it comes to there's this faith that claims this, there's this faith that claims this, and this faith that claims that. Do we just embrace them all? They're all equally valid. That's what the world wants us to do. But Jesus says, no, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he's not saying throw out your mind. A lot of the world thinks... What does mind, reason have to do with faith? Faith is just this feeling, this subjective thing. It's not a reality. Don't use logic. You just believe it and it makes it work. That isn't biblical faith at all. Biblical faith is putting your faith in a reality. It's confidence in this reality that you can't see, but you have an assurance as the track record builds. The law of contradiction is what I'd like to share with you on the screen. The law of contradiction is a principle of logic that says a thing cannot at the same time both be and not be of a specified kind, as in as a table and not a table at the same time, or in a specified manner as red and not red at the same time. So true faith cannot affirm a personal God who is not a personal God or affirm Jesus is the only way and not the only way. The law of contradiction disallows all faiths to be true. They could all be wrong, but they can't all be right. And it's more likely that one is right. You need to investigate if it is. That's what we're talking about. I have, if you don't mind, 
an illustration that I'd like to just read out for you that's a little bit satire, but it makes a point. So let's say you go to the terminal desk at Sky Harbor Airport and ask, which gate is the gate to my nonstop flight to Hawaii? What would you think if a staff member who says this, it's not our policy to tell people which gate they have to fly out of, that would be rather narrow-minded, wouldn't it? I mean, these are all wonderful planes with hard-working crews and sincere passengers. Who are we to say that one is better than another? Take whichever one you want. They're all going somewhere, and if you work really hard along the way, you can make the right transfer from anywhere and eventually get where you want to go. How ridiculous would that be? Isn't it just as ridiculous to suggest that all roads lead to heaven? Maybe if you turn around from going the wrong way, it can lead there, but some ways are taking you away from heaven, actually going in the wrong direction. Now, if you don't care where you spend eternity, then it doesn't matter which road you take. But if you do care about this life and death issue, why not investigate the way God provided? It may be a narrow gate, but everyone is invited And through that gate, there is room for everyone who accepts Jesus. So Jesus did talk about a narrow road that is to life and a broad road that leads to destruction. The good news is there is a road that leads to life. The good news is that he is providing a way to God. And the bad news is if what's true about ourselves, that we are not holy, we have lives that are unraveling before God with darkness inside of us that Jesus would provide an answer to us by taking that darkness away. That is good news, not bad news. Rather than think from a narrow-minded perspective, we think, yay, there's a vaccine and it works. Wouldn't you want the life-saving vaccine? That's what Jesus claims to be. So on the screen, we have Point number three, who is being narrow-minded? If you reject that vaccine, who is it that's being narrow-minded? God, I can't believe that I have to change and do things your way. I am good enough as I am, and that's where a lot of people are coming from. And so sometimes we need to hear the bad news because that is the reality. No, you're not good enough. You are not holy. Heaven is a holy, perfect place, and the only way you can have a relationship with the holy is if I take care of it this way. And he's told us precisely how he can take care of it so that we can be made holy by what Jesus has done for us rather than trying to be good enough by working out our own system, whatever that may be. That's a home remedy that God says does not work. I'm giving you the only remedy that does work. I am taking it away from you. My son came to take it away from you. I have done this much for you. And if you stand and say, I just don't like it, how do you justify that narrow-mindedness to reject all that God has done for you? Are you willing to stand before the God who is holy that says you're not and say, I reject that? God is willing to let you do that because he honors your freedom. He will never force you to love him. He invites you and loves you and has done so much for you and he invites you to be a part of a way that is a way of life. It's clearly marked It's clearly described. It's 
easy to follow as you follow in the steps of Jesus and keep your face looking to him because he makes that way for you. He is the way. Jesus whispers his love when he offered himself. He is the answer to your unraveling life. Turn to him. He's inviting you today. Are you willing to investigate, to see if these claims are true? If not, why not? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for giving us clarity, marking the way for centuries, even millenniums, preparing the way for Jesus to be the fulfillment of this well-marked way of life that is in you, where holiness comes by faith, not by trying harder or working harder and trying to earn or merit anything to be good enough before you. You have made us good through what Jesus has done by faith, by grace, not by works. So we turn to you and ask you, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Thank you for doing what you've done. I invite you into my life. Give me the power of resurrection through your spirit. Allow me to experience that reality and walk with you and grow in faith and grow in goodness and live a beautiful life, the way, the life, the truth to walk in you and with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. If you'd like to investigate further, please ask. You can do that in a number of ways on our online platforms. You can ask a person by calling. You need to investigate, read the word. He points it out very clearly. I'd like to celebrate at this time some baptisms that we have experienced together in the weeks that we've been apart, and we want to celebrate these. Here's a couple of baptisms. So, Rachel, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. And he came from heaven to earth to take on himself uh, your sin and take it away. Yes, definitely. Okay, it's based on that confession of faith that I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him and raised to walk in the name of life. Jason, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? By that I mean he was anointed by God, by his spirit, to be your savior. Yes. And do you believe that he rose from the dead and is going to give you his spirit, resurrection power within your life? Yes. I changed the words a little bit, so you have to change. <laughs> it's based on your confession of faith that I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him. And raised to walk in newness of life. That's good news. Two more that are all in with Jesus. Maybe that's something you want to do also. Be talking to us about it. We'd love to dialogue and help you uh, process that out. I want to encourage you to consider being here with us, tuning in next week for part three of the Barrier series. Hasn't science disprove the Bible? Great question. We'll be looking at that together next week. See you then.